This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. Today, I am in conversation with Mr. Bobby Washington. He is a pastor at the Multicultural East Denver Church of God. He is also a very successful businessman who owns and operates two nationwide businesses. Bobby has a Chinese mother and an African-American father and was lucky enough to grow up for many of his childhood years abroad. He has lived in Taiwan, England, and Europe. His life experiences give him a unique point of view about what racism is and looks like in the United States. I was simply captivated by his story, his gentle manner in conveying the truth, his honest perspective about racism, and the kindness that radiates from him. Thank you, Bobby, for being with me today. This is going to be such an exciting conversation. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Well, good. Yeah, I am glad to to be able to share my story, you know, with you and everybody else that's uh, listening. So excellent. Who are three people, dead or alive, that you would like to have over for a dinner party? A dinner and party and why? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first person I'd like to talk to is our our, our former president, you know, Barack Obama. I just yes. I, there's a lot of questions I have for him. Yes. Um, about you know how it was for him being the first African American president mm-hmm. of the United States and what that was like, because mm-hmm. I haven't heard that. Mm-hmm. from any stories from him and anything else because, you know, um, I think that's an important thing. Yes. Um, you know, as we are, uh, you know, with all the protests and the things that are going on with, you know, Black Lives Matter and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, for To me, that was always a, uh, a thing that had to be asked of him. So, that would be a fantastic conversation. Could you imagine how long that would last? It would last probably all night. Yeah, <laughs> but be so great. You could only have one guest at that point. Right, yeah, but but it's a conversation that needs to happen, in yes. my mind, because it's just a personal thing. I just want to know. Yeah, that would be How great. was it for you? Mm-hmm. Was it overly difficult? Was it, um, you know, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And be me. honest, not yeah. feel like he has to, like, say it politically correct right, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah 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 and then you know the other guest i'd like to i know she just passed away you know our supreme court judge yes. um you know ginsburg i just mm-hmm. uh, always uh, you know always admired her for what she has done and you know the blazing trail so mm-hmm. always had questions for her mm-hmm. you know and then as a christian you know as as a christian you know you always want to sit down with jesus but like i said i talk to jesus every day anyway yeah. so <laughs> as a christian but um, but it's always different when you can have a conversation. Yes. Because in the Bible, you see him having conversation. Like, I want to have a conversation, too. That would be so cool. <laughs> yes. About yeah. things other than what's already been written. Like, Correct. I have so many other questions. Yes. I like to have other questions answered. Exactly. And, and everything else. Okay. Well, those are some three great people. I would love to... Um, sneak into your party or fly on <laughs> the wall. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Bobby, you told me that you have an African-American father and a Chinese mother. Tell me, first of all, how did they ever meet? 
And I know that there were laws back when they were getting married against marrying people from other cultures. So I'm interested in hearing their stories about how you came to be. Oh, came to be. So my father is uh, military, obviously. Um, uh, Air Force Mm -hmm. um, was stationed, had two tours in Korea. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, the Air Force base was in Taiwan. Oh, really? That they were stationed at. Okay. Uh, he always told me stories, that, you know, they pulled up on a ship on the shores of Taiwan and they got out and it says, this is our base. And it was just a field. <laughs> so they had to create a base and do oh, all these things goodness. to, and so they fought the Korean War from there. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where he met my mother. Wow. Incredible. Okay. So they did not meet in the United States, no. which makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so they met in Taiwan. Um, and and so and that's how I came to be. I mm-hmm. was, you know, I always tell people that I have a stamp on my backside that says, you know, made in Taiwan. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Literally yeah. and literally, I was born uh-huh. in Taiwan. I was made in Taiwan. So uh, I have two other brothers mm-hmm. as well. You know, my older brother was uh, obviously from Taiwan as well. My youngest brother was born in England because mm-hmm. um, we were stationed all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you think about row houses, and mm-hmm. that's what it was. <laughs> wow, so did you start going to like school elementary there. school? Yeah, I, yeah, we went to school. I was in school all the way through the third grade there. Fantastic. Uh, did you, you know, have a British accent? I did. So when I got mm-hmm. back to the United States, I talked too fast, mm-hmm. and then people couldn't understand me because mm-hmm. of the accent and everything else. It's just because well, that's what we learned. you know. Yes. And my mother didn't allow us to speak Chinese. She didn't? No, because there's no Chinese people around. So she was like, you'll never use it. So she didn't even teach it to you? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, I, yeah, I, you know, my mother now, you know, is, is very sorry for that. Yes, I <laughs> now. imagine. Yeah. yeah. But she, she did was, keep her culture alive in other ways. Correct. Right? Yeah. You know, she, she's always taught us, you know, the things that were important, mm-hmm. you know, um, in Chinese culture, it's, it's all about honor for the family mm-hmm. and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And it was always about, okay, you're going to do what we tell you to do. Because mm-hmm. it brings honor and all those mm-hmm. kind of things. So all those things like that are um, part of that, mm-hmm. you know, along with the African-American culture that, mm-hmm. you know, we really didn't get. You and, didn't. Get until we got back to the United States. Because, like I said, we didn't get back to the United States until the early 80s. Wow. So, so was it kind of shocking after living in Taiwan and England to now enter the United yeah. States? Yeah, and yeah, in Europe, Europe yeah. it's a completely different animal then. Yeah, because for me, I was never taught about racism by color. Um, because everywhere else we lived, it was it was uh, either about your religion uh-huh. or about the class uh-huh. that you were born in. And mm-hmm. especially in England, it was all about religion. Mm-hmm. About, oh, the Protestants versus yeah, the Catholics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That was if you. That's what. That's what the war was about. There, you exactly. Know? It wasn't about your skin color. So you never got that. Never got that mm-hmm. brutal. That's unique to America. Yeah. That's how we have and to show our status show here, our status, right? Yeah. Sadly. And so when we got back to the United States, you know, my dad uh, told all of the kids that were old enough, I mean, my brother, saying, you know, here's different. Mm. They, they won't like you because of your skin color. How did you ex- how did you take that? Like that would be really hard to accept, having g- experienced just being normal everywhere else, considered normal everywhere else, and then come here and now all of a sudden 
people are going to look at me differently. Like, what's wrong with me? Right. And I think that was the, I think you didn't get that until you got to school. Mm-hmm. And you saw it right away. Really? Between teachers and administrators and children, you're like, do I, do I look different? Do I stink? You know I mean? <laughs> All these things mm-hmm. because you don't know why they're treating you differently and harshly. Did you ever think it was because of your accent? I thought that was for a long time. I mm-hmm. thought maybe I need to rethink that or whatever it case may be, but I never knew what it was. Mm. So, or, or maybe it was because I was mixed. Yeah. You know, and they can tell a little bit when I was younger, they, they could tell a little bit I was more Asian then, not really now, but uh-huh. um, now I'm more African American looking uh-huh. now and everything else. So it was very difficult because when I got back to the United States, I had to sit a year because they wouldn't let me in school. Because in, in Europe and everywhere else, they started earlier and they were more advanced. Uh-huh. So when I got here, I was uh-huh. supposed to start fifth grade. Uh-huh. And then they told me I couldn't because of my age. So I had to sit a year. That's horrible. Yeah, they're like, oh, you can't go to school. You're, you're too young for that grade. Even though I passed all the tests and did all the things I had to and do. And what state did you move to? Uh, Missouri at that point, because my dad wasn't uh, from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. and so those are kind of things that are I'm different. Sorry. No, well, you know, I didn't know any anything at, yeah. at the age, and all I knew was okay, things are different. And did your mom teach you at home then? Uh, no, at that time, uh, at that point in time, my dad and my mother had divorced. Uh-huh. So, and so I was living with dad's gra- mom, grandma, okay. in St. Louis, and everything else, and. And, and she had uh, moved to Las Vegas and got married again, too. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad had been married several times, like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. since we were growing up. And, and so it, it was just different growing mm. up that way. You know, being yes. in a single-parent home, yes. you know, with brothers and, you know, being in a country that you're not used to the culture and, mm-hmm. and you know, and learning the culture and mm-hmm. learning how to... Um, deal with it and do all those things and we were just taught you know get your education you know if you get pulled over by police you just you're nice and kind mm-hmm. <laughs> all the things that we were told by my father he's just like I can't control what, mm-hmm. what America is mm-hmm. but this is home mm-hmm. and this is all these things and so we have to live according to all the, the things that are going on yeah you know and and so so it's it's different. It was difficult. It was difficult growing up here. I imagine in the United States. Well, and then add to that, like you just said, a single parent household that just changes everything. So you've adjusted to a new culture coming to the United States, and then you had to adjust to a single parent household, and you had to adjust to kids and adults treating you differently. That is a major adjustment. I can't imagine how hard that time in your life was. It was, and it and, and it. Uh, now it shaped you. It it did shape me. It it, it almost turned me to, down the wrong street. At, really? You know, yeah, because I had a chip on my shoulder. Mm. Because you had to prove everything. I have to now. I have to prove myself again. I had to do all these things. I had to figure out why people didn't like me, and you know, and all the things that you, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, that you do, and you know, and like I said in high school and uh, element, you know, junior high, high school, even college, you know, because like I said, I grew up around the world. I didn't grow up here in America. Mm-hmm. I grew up a lot of places around mm-hmm. the world. And so for me, you know, 
dating and all that stuff was different for me. Mm-hmm. It didn't bother me. I date anybody. You, know? mm-hmm. <laughs> you weren't way. limited by race. I, right, right. I, I yeah. wasn't limited by that and because I wasn't taught that. Yes. So what did, you, what did your dad say about race? Did he say, you know, this is how Americans view people? I don't. It's obvious, or your mother doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, what were his opinions? Because he was shaped probably even worse by that stuff having grown up in St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he grew up during all that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. um, all the civil rights stuff yes. and everything else. And he got into the military at 18. And it was a way was, out. And a way out of that, mm-hmm. and was shipped overseas mm-hmm. and fighting in wars. And so all that shaped him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my dad never talked about war. He never talked about his military experience because mm-hmm. he just left that alone. So many in that generation did. never yeah. did. Even yeah. though it shaped them so much, we'll, like, never know because it wasn't expressed. And, you know, and my father was, you know, he had you know, taught Clarence because he worked on the Space Shuttle Project. He mm-hmm. worked on AWACS. So he had all kind of, so he just didn't say anything. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> but as, a, as children, we went with him. To work, and we played uh-huh. on the space shuttle. Oh, you know, awesome. you know, on the AWACS. We were yeah. on the AWACS where he was like, "Okay, sit here and play with the computer. I got to go to work." Oh my goodness! <laughs> so that's kind of how me and my older brother um, got into computers because we—that's what he was doing. Yes. And so, in those in those younger years when we were, you know, we were lived in California and we lived on all these other places, and he worked on those those projects. That's fantastic. I'm so glad he went into the military because he was given a chance. Mm-hmm. Whereas had he not gone into the military, do you think he would have had the opportunity to grow his technical and computer abilities? No, no I don't because think he, he was uh, in Korea. He was a you know he was an airplane mechanic mm-hmm. and worked on that kind of stuff, and then moved into computers, and, and that's how he got into the space shuttle program and got into AWACS, and you that's know awesome. you know after 22 years in the military, you mm-hmm. you know you gain a lot things you mm-hmm. know so yeah it's, it's just different so uh, that inc- that encouraged you to want to study computers and I, I think a lot of that has you know as children you kind of you kind of pick up what your parents are doing exactly and then you just kind of like oh you know I didn't think about it like that or I don't, I don't think about um, how I do certain things because uh-huh. of my mother <laughs> you know and everything yeah. else I was telling a story the other day I says you know I was out with my mother and with her, all her girlfriends at a restaurant, and and uh, they started complaining to the owner of the restaurant. It was a Chinese restaurant, and in Las Vegas Chinatown, about you know, it was too many bones in the fish and everything. And then uh, and they were just arguing and everything else. And my wife looks at me and she goes, "That's why you argue like that." <laughs> I said. That's probably why. Yeah. Okay. So now I understand. Yeah. So it, it, those are kind of things that you, you know, as children, you kind of like, oh, I did take on that. Or, yeah. You don't realize it at the time. Yeah. Like, oh, sure. I took on that issue. I took on that for my mother and mm-hmm. that for my father. Mm-hmm. I do this because of those kind of mm-hmm. all those all those things are yeah. very interesting. As we you are our parents. That. Aren't we? Yeah, in some form or fashion. Yes. You know, you know, we always try not to be, but you know, yeah. but we end up somehow, exactly. some way. Yeah, part of that. Yeah. The older we get, for yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. then we hear ourselves talking to our kids and like, I can't believe I just said what my dad said or right. something, right? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great that you still have an ongoing relationship with both parents. I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that. Sounds like you are visiting your mom and 
She's, yeah, she's older. I have to deal with that, you know. Yeah. And so, but like I said, you know, you know, there's always one sibling in the family that always takes on the role of, you and know, that's you. and that's me. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. What types of microaggressions did you have to deal with, or did you even know to call them microaggressions when you were moved first moved here, and then as you've as you've um, gotten older? Did you recognize them as such? And how do you deal with these subtleties that are thrown at you on a daily basis? I think as a kid, you don't recognize those. Mm -hmm. um, you might think of them, you know, as maybe, you know, you did something wrong and you're just trying to fix that, you know, or, or you know, you know, or why people are looking at you different or why they follow you in a store. I didn't, I didn't know any of that, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of, that's not ignorant as the word, as more of just naive. Yes, you the know. beautiful innocence of naivety, right? Right, it, you know, and I think as I grew up, I think that's what it was. Because yeah. because how of all my younger years were overseas. Yeah. And I get here in my teenage years, my young teenage years and beyond, I was, I was naive. And it's so shaping, that, that age, you know, middle school on, Mm -hmm. Those you're 12 to 15 that shapes you for the rest of your life. You could mm -hmm. have a beautiful childhood, but the time that your mind goes back to to remember in those mm -hmm. middle school years is very shaping. Yeah, so, you know, for me to look at, you know, now I can look back at certain events, mm -hmm. you know, in my, at school and, and what happened um, here, there, everywhere, realizing that I did get followed in stores mm -hmm. as a young child. I did. People did look at me and mm -hmm. question what I was doing um, and more often than I, I really thought, mm. you know. Um, was your brother more sensitive to that since he was I older? don't know. Uh, you know, I think he was. Uh, he was just two years older than I am, uh -huh. my older brother. Uh, you know, he probably has a lot of the same uh, thoughts mm -hmm. and, and everything else, mm -hmm. and what's going on in the world, and everything else. But it's it's just difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, and our younger brother is seven years younger than I am, and, mm -hmm. you know. And like I said, he was born in England and came straight to America. Mm -hmm. So you know, his childhood was here. Mm -hmm. So he might be more adapted to that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. than than we were as the older kids. And like I said, you know, I was the middle kid and, you know, those... The peacemaker. Uh, the peacemaker mm -hmm. and all those things. And so the, the microaggressions and everything else, it's, like I said, it did shape you. It did shape me. I didn't realize how much of a chip I was carrying as mm -hmm. a young child because mm -hmm. of all those things. How many times did my dad had to come to the police station and pick me up? Really? For things that just kid things. So that was the chip. How did you recognize that chip on your shoulder? I didn't recognize that until I got past college really until you know somebody told me you know you got a huge chip on your shoulder about racism and that must have been hard to hear because sometimes it seems it feels justified or legitimate and I thought it was too but he said yeah but you know people I had a good great friend of mine says you know you I understand that it's justified and you want to be angry mm -hmm. but you're not going to get anywhere with that mm -hmm. in this world but wisdom so, yeah and and then he says, you know, you need God to deal with that with you. Mm -hmm. You know, he says, you're not going to change it. You know, there's too many people in this world who are racist and all these other mm -hmm. things, and it will keep continuing to happen. It happened, like I said, it happened all the way through. Mm -hmm. uh, through college, when I was dating my wife. You mm -hmm. know, I've been married to my wife for almost 34 years. Mm -hmm. And just dating, 
was being harassed because I was dating her, you I know, can't you know, just being pulled over by cops, you know, getting handcuffed and making, and they would ask her if she was fine, you know, in the vehicle. Yeah. So. Well, I would be angry. I, you're such a gentle soul. I would be angry, and you seem to be very calm and just accepting and can't change everybody it's just the way it is well so that's now there was a transformation somewhere yeah, yeah. what was that transformation? that transformation was god putting people in my life to say you know that's not going to work for you you got mm -hmm. to forgive and forget mm -hmm. you have to deal with it going forward and let god deal with it mm -hmm. and that's one thing god had a great conversation with me he's saying look i will take care of those things uh, he says i'm the great equalizer Mm, that's beautiful. And he says, I will deal with the, the vengeance and everything else that you carried out. He says, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. I will take care of that. Mm -hmm. And God has continually changed me because of, you know, those, those you know, 20 years ago. Mm. And he said, I got it. Mm -hmm. Just keep walking. Just and keep trusting. Just keep trusting me. I will deal with those things behind you where, you know, you know where people treated you wrong and mm -hmm. people are dealing with you um, and he says I will give you favor mm -hmm. so you do not like to focus on the racism you see it but it is what it is and that's part of living here it, would that be an adequate um, a little bit yeah because how I look at it is that yes um, I can change things by how I approach it and how I talk to people and how I address it mm -hmm. um, as a as a as as a Christian as a as a, as a black man um, and and trying to help people understand what it is instead of yelling and screaming because mm -hmm. sometimes that doesn't help it just creates yes. more aggression it does and it creates more division than it does help yeah. mm -hmm. and so for me you know in business I, you know, I get to be in a lot of different groups and a lot of different things, and so I get to have these conversations with people who are in different bubbles, mm -hmm. you know, and so, and, 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 to, and to have conversations that can help, Yes. you know, about the bubble and about yes. um, how I look at things, and mm -hmm. you'd be shocked how many people don't believe it still happens, racism still happens, in this day and age, even yes. in, in Denver, Colorado, you know, yes. and every, everywhere else we go. It's worse in other places in the country, mm -hmm. um, but it still happens to me. Still. Yeah, still. It's interesting that you mentioned the word bubble. I had another um, gentleman that I interviewed, and he said, if we could all just break open our bubbles and listen to each other, mm -hmm. the world would be a better place. And, and you're mm -hmm. echoing that same sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, and he was also very gentle about... He would give people the benefit of the doubt, like they didn't mean to actually say it that way. It just, it came out wrong and I'm not going to take it that way. Like he was very purposeful in how he interacted with people and he wouldn't get easily offended. Mm -hmm. um, well, my eyes are opening up to racism more and more because I was one of those people who grew up thinking racism was behind us in, in the world I grew up in. Um, especially once I moved to the States, um, I thought we were in a post-racist society. Mm. That's how I was raised. Um, and so when I started seeing these inequalities and injustices, it really angered me because that 
that's not the way it's supposed to be. And um, I didn't know how to handle it. And I'm learning. I am learning from everybody I interview, from everybody I talk to, from everybody who's actually lived through xenophobia or racism um, or any type of discrimination, that the best way to handle that anger is to channel it into, like you're saying, conversation or um, even just a gentle manner, just educating people gets a lot more accomplished than the anger, doesn't it? Correct. And, and that's something that we have to understand. Um, even as Christians, we realize that Jesus didn't get that way. He, mm-hmm. It was always a teaching moment for mm-hmm. Jesus, and, and, and that's how I look at it. It's a mm-hmm. teaching moment because, you know, depending how big your bubble is, Mm-hmm. You know, some people's bubbles are really small. Mm-hmm. My bubble is really big because how much I travel, how much I, mm-hmm. I work, how much I, I'm in different orders. So my bubble is really huge. So mm-hmm. I get to um, have conversations with different cultures, different people. Uh, and it's just been amazing to me what God can do with that. Yeah. Um, if you can have that kind of conversation mm-hmm. and open eyes a little differently. Mm-hmm. Now, you met your wife, you said, was it in college? In college, yes. Yes, and she is a white woman from, mm-hmm. was it Alabama? Is from that what Alabama, yeah. Okay, I want to hear this story. You want to hear this story? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, like I said, I, you know, we met in college. I was, um, um, she was actually, when she was in college, she was actually going to be a nurse. She was mm-hmm. working through it, and I was going to be a doctor. That was but my mom and dad were pushing me down the road to, you're going to be the first doctor in the family. <laughs> and so we were at a Christian university, mm-hmm. and she was doing that, and I was, and God caught up with me and says, I don't think I want you to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I want you to go into ministry and be a pastor and all these kind of things. So That's I changed. a massive change of direction. Yeah, and so, I, so when I changed into... You know theology and ministry and all those kind of things. You know, you know, you know. She still wanted to date me. She was well. I thought I was dating a doctor <laughs> and everything else. And so, but like I said, you know, you know, we met at Pizza Hut because we both worked at Pizza Hut during college and all those That's things. Yeah. And it just went like I said, but it was a difficult dating period. Like you said, uh, you know, we've go out on dates and get stopped by a cop multiple times. You know, and our first date. You know, we got, I got pulled over by a cop in Oklahoma City, and they handcuffed me, threw me on the hood. Oh, my and then goodness. And they went to her and said, you're okay. Oh. She goes, yeah, we're on a date. Did they <laughs> apologize to you? No. No apology. No apology. And so, but that happened several times, you know, uh, to us. Um, so that, you know, and, you know, and the people that we were went to college with, our professors always said, to us that, you know, you know, you probably want to think about that because it's going to be difficult, before, you know, for you to be a pastor in a mixed marriage and church. Now that opened my eyes a little bit to mm-hmm. realize that racism creeped into the church. Oh yes. And um, so after we got married, and I tried to get to church and all these kind of things, it's just it was terrible. Isn't that? Isn't there a? Um quote that says that 11 o'clock in the morning 11 o'clock in the morning is the most divided time you you know time in our country you know and how true that is and yet here you are still a pastor of a church yeah you know and you know and God brought us to a place where um, it's a multiracial church that's fantastic 
um, you know, because I told you, this is what heaven is going to look like. Yes. You know, it's not going to be your church on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not, we're all going to be here worshiping God together. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it, it's, it was a fresher breath air for us as we moved to Colorado um, and everything and been here, raised our kids here, you know, been mm-hmm. multiple churches here. Um, and, and understanding that we went through a lot you did. as a couple dealing with all of it you know because from her perspective and my perspective are two different perspectives mm-hmm. you know like you know we we had it when our younger marriage we, we argue because you know she can go to a gas station and they turn the pump on for her without even no question mm-hmm. she just pump gas and then she'll get in the car and then drive up to the front of the building and then get out and go pay oh my you couldn't do that i couldn't do that no i pull up to a pump and i Try to get them wave at them or anything. They wouldn't turn nothing on. Oh, you you got to come and prepay. And I would go in, and it took her a while of it, just like me, uh-huh. you know, to say, "Look, this is the reality." Yes. Of who we are as yeah. a couple and everything else, and we realize that even around the world, you, you know, you know, you see it mm-hmm. in in different places and different times, and you know, we've been places where. Uh, you know, you know, they wouldn't serve me, but they'll serve her. And we've been in places where they and didn't like she, women. Huh? How did she handle that? She just look at, you know, she just say, look, you know, we're all together. You know. You so know. the inequities, there's, there's always a hurdle. It seems like with it, everything. Correct. It, it will always be a hurdle, even in the United States. You know, because our family is mixed, our kids are mixed, uh-huh. and everything else. And we would go to restaurants and across this country and people just look at us and like okay are y'all together are you not together Mm. you know even now we've been married so long that you know people would think that we've been married a long time but Mm -hmm. you know they still look at us that we're not married you know and those kind of things and so we still you know so we still deal with all of it every day but you know but we learn to use it to our advantage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some things she'll do and there's some things i will do you yes. know just yes. you know there's things that she can do that i can't do because of color mm-hmm. you know you know go and how go. does she reconcile that how, how does she handle that in her life and just emotionally and psychologically because i imagine she's taking on offense for you she does and she does a great job of of doing that and and i do a good job of uh, helping her with that Mm -hmm. and everything else and you know you know she's a teacher she's Mm -hmm. been teaching a long time and so she um is using that to her advantage as she teaches Mm -hmm. as she helps her co-workers and everything Mm -hmm. else that she does and um yeah, and so we, you know, we understand it's part of the world we live in, mm-hmm. and there's things we're not going to change. We can help people with the bubble and all these kind of things, and so. But even like I said, you know, there's things like okay, if we if we need tags for the car, I usually send her. Mm-hmm. They don't ask her any questions. They just give her tags. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I go in, they want 18 different forms. They want me to prove that I live at this place and all mm-hmm. the things that you're like really why didn't you ask her that mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you just let that roll off you like water off a duck's back or when is it too much and it just it just kind of um, pokes as, you again I think as I get older it rolls off the back easier yeah um, because airports, I go, I'm in airports all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm in car rental places all the time, and I get it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, 
I was flying for work, and I go to, uh, and just in Las Vegas, I was flying to work, and I go get a car, and you know, I rent cars all the time, so mm -hmm. I'm an elite member. I get to go get my thing, and I go, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I go, I walk up, mm -hmm. and to get my my stuff, and the lady turns around and said, "The line's over there, sir." I go, I know that. I said, I'm an elite member. I'm waiting for my thing. And the guy walks over. Oh, here, Mr. Washington, here's your thing. And she goes, oh. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't look like a business traveler. <laughs> you know. People feel the need to correct you. or put Yeah, you in and they place. do that even, you know, at gates and stuff like that, you know, because I fly a lot. Mm -hmm. And I have status because mm -hmm. I fly. And So is it getting worse? Or are there any places in the country or the United States where it might be improving a little bit? Or no? Or has um, this, this... It's, it's always has happened. Mm. It's always has happened because my bubble is so big. Mm -hmm. I see it in different phases in different places or across our country because every, I go everywhere. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, whether it's in the deep south, mm -hmm. which is really bad, mm -hmm. it's still really bad down there. You were telling me there's towns you still can't go into. Yeah, they're still all white counties. And in things. 2020? In 2020. They're still on the books I in the deep not. south. I cannot uh, comprehend that. Yeah, I mean, because like I said, I went home with her when, she, when we were dating and just had to walk out of restaurants. Because people were just gonna string me up if I went in there with her. Mm -hmm. And the town she's from, a little small town in Alabama, that's just not gonna work. Mm -mm. And her family, some of her family are racist, and they told her, just like, sorry, we don't believe what you do, but that's why she lives out here mm -hmm. <laughs> and not in the deep mm -hmm. south anymore and everything else. And so, it, it is it better than it was 20 years ago? Depends where you live. Really? Yeah. Depends on where you live. Mm -hmm. um, in Oklahoma City, where we went to college and lived for a while, um, not really. No. Hasn't changed much, you know. Um, here in Denver, it's better here, it, but it still happens here, mm -hmm. you know. It, it seems, well, it doesn't seem, it is a structural, a systemic problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's a systemic problem that can only be changed. I don't know, it seems like from the top down with laws. What are your thoughts on that? How do you think this systemic problem is best going to be addressed? Or do you think it's just going to be with us always? Do you think America can ever get past its racist roots? It's, yeah, its racist it's roots. Its roots, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's gonna take, it's gonna be beyond my lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be on my children's lifetime, but mm -hmm. I think change has to happen because the, all, like we talked about before, the, all these bubbles have to be popped. Mm -hmm. Because if you live in Castle Rock, if you live in Highlands Ranch, mm -hmm. you, you don't you don't see minorities. Mm -mm. So your bubble is your bubble. Mm -hmm. So for you know for the friends I have who who live in the suburbs, I tell them you have to since you know now what the problems are. Because you've talked to me, you've talked to other people. You have to be our voice in that bubble. Yes. You have to be our voice. Yes. To your friends and to your families that are saying things that are not right. Yes. That's how it's going to change. Because when black people stand up and say something against racism, people are, oh, they're so sensitive. Mm. Why are they always playing the race card? It's just standing up for yourself like anybody would, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you need white allies to s say those things in your stead. 
Yeah, so if I'm not in your get, bubble, right. Mm-hmm. If I'm not there and somebody says something off color, mm-hmm. so you can't say that. That's yeah. not true. Mm-hmm. And and so when I talk to people in those different bubbles, I just said, they always ask me the same question. Well, how can we help stand up and say something? I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. And I just said, you just stand up and say something because mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, and it happens because of where we live and and the people that we deal with and mm-hmm. all cultures and all things, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and so it's interesting to have those conversations mm-hmm. with minorities, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're Chinese, because, you, know, I mean, you know, the Chinese are being just as attacked as we yes. are now. Yes. And so I get it on both sides. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, and so um, I was on a plane coming back from visiting my mother in Las Vegas, and I was sitting in the exit row next to a pilot that was just coming back, and he was having a conversation with one of the flight attendants about how bad Chinese people were. And I finally had to say something to him. I says, you know, sir, I am very, I'm very Chinese and my mother's Chinese. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't appreciate your tone. And how did he respond? He shut up for like five minutes and then he tried to make an excuse of why he was talking that way. I go, I don't care what your excuse is, it's just wrong. Okay, I mean, you can't bring the coronavirus on Chinese people who mm-hmm. live in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you said in a very gentle, kind fashion. I did. And I, I wasn't going to be rude to him or anything. Yeah. I just said, you know, don't do that. Be very careful because people who sit around here, you don't know who they are mm-hmm. and what culture they are mm-hmm. and everything else. I don't look Chinese, but I'm Chinese. And he never apologized to you? Never apologized. Mm. That's what you get for being the privileged class, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to apologize, sadly. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, well, you know. And, and then justify yourself. Yeah. yeah, and so I deal with that all the time. Mm, I'm sorry. You know, and, uh, but no, like I said, I, and that's why I have to pray every day. And that's why mm-hmm. I have to say, God, you know, help me through another day. Because you have to do, we have mm-hmm. to deal with that all the time. You know, and uh, and people always ask me, you deal with it every day? I go, yeah. It doesn't stop. Mm-mm. It's never stopped. Mm-hmm. Do, some, do I ignore some of most of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's no reason to fight every 10 minutes of the day over something that I can't mm-hmm. change a person. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if I stand at a Office Max or Office Depot and nobody wants to help me. Mm. I don't get mad about that. I just go find somebody. I just got to go find and and say, I need help, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yeah. or at a restaurant or or whatever it is. It's just it, so abundant. It yeah, sounds like yeah, it is abundant. Well, this is. I'm so glad you're sharing this because white people or anybody, and I don't like to say white and black. I don't like these distinctions because these are just man-made things. People are not color skin color i don't believe in race i think it's a man-made construct but for lack of better terminology unless you can give me something better to say most white people of whatever ethnicity whose skin is lighter um they need to hear this we all need to know what it is like on a daily basis because so many people are walking around thinking this is behind us racism is behind us look at we had a black president all good Mm -hmm. 
hate seems to be more allowed now. It seems to be, because it's coming from the top down, mm -hmm. it seems to be more acceptable. Um, people are giving into their their more ugly natures instead of showing their more gentle sides. Um, what would you say to that? How would you counter that? The word hate, I, I think, is um, a misstrewed word mm -hmm. um, because we add more to it mm. than what it really means because uh, we add a lot to that you know mm. hate means I don't want to do I hate it means I don't want to deal with it anymore mm -hmm. but we use it as I don't like you yes and so I try to correct the definition with people especially from the top top down mm -hmm. um, you know because uh, I had a conversation with a friend and you know you know, you know, we use the word we for a lot of things in the United States that, you know, we won the war, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we won this election. But when it comes to racism, we don't want to use the word we. It's mm -hmm. like, well, I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, why can't we walk together with that, too? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you know, we need to deal with, you know, systemic racism. We need to deal with cultural racism and all these other things that are going on that keep us divided. Yes. And not make it about well, I wasn't there. I didn't own slaves, or I exactly. didn't. I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. I'm sure you get that, that I get argument that all a lot. The time. I get mm -hmm. that card all the time. It's not about that. I What's say, your response? I said my, my response is I says I says I understand that, but we have to work together yeah. to fix it. Yeah, we're left to pick up the pieces. All yes, of us. I understand that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, I wasn't thrown on a boat, me personally, mm -hmm. and brought over from Africa as a slave. But my, my, my family background yes. is. This is my great-grandmother was a slave. And mm -hmm. that those scars, I think, live from generation to generation. I think I've read a lot of books um, lately that does not equate to your life experience, but I have read a lot of books. I'm trying to learn and glean from all the black voices and experiences. And, and what I've learned from reading um, books about about slaves who've come over and then the family lineage you know generations later that's a scar and a pain that stays it, it's it's in there it's in their blood it's in their their being and there's never been apologies there's never been reparations there's never been anything to say like you didn't even get an apology from the police officer how are you supposed to keep going on when nobody acknowledges what it was was wrong or is is wrong mm -hmm. Apologies and niceties and consideration and all those things go such a long way. What What's holding people back from saying, we're sorry. We're sorry that people like us did things, did horrible things to people who look like you. What's so wrong with that? That is like on my mind every single time I see or witness or hear an injustice. I want to say, I'm so sorry. And I don't know how that would be received, even if I went up and said that. That scares me, even to just think about saying that. That sounds very cowardly. But how do people who feel like that, how do they get that across to people? Is it okay to just say things like that? Go up to a random person and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, well, I think if you see an injustice, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I think overall, just to... You know, have somebody come up to you and say, oh, I'm sorry for what you have gone through. That is really kind of insensitive, I think. It's insensitive, okay. Yeah, you know, because I've, I've heard that. And I'm like, I don't even know you. Mm-hmm. Why would you say that? 
Mm, so yeah. it's based on relationship. For yeah, you. yeah. It's about okay. I, I understand you just saw that, but yeah, you know. But what what are you doing to change that? Yes, that's such an important yeah. question. And and I, and I think a lot of times, you know, you know, when people just try to apologize because they think they need to apologize, they're just trying. There's a it's a guilt thing. I understand that, but that's not what we need. Mm-hmm. You know, we as people, or Native Americans, African Americans, Asians, whatever, mm-hmm. we just need people to say, "I'm with you." I'm with you. I need to. We're standing with you. Mm-hmm. And we're acting. We're acting on your behalf on your and behalf. for you and with right. you. Okay. Yeah, so if we see injustice, we're going to take care of that. We will stand with you if we if we, if we protest. If we yes. will do these things. If I'm around and I can fix it, I will fix it. Thank you. I needed to hear that. Thank you for teaching me that. That yeah. helps me. You know, yeah. white guilt is a thing. I mean, it's a definite thing, and I don't know what to do with it, but mm-hmm. now I do. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and I think that's important, you know, you know, when you're around people that can, can deal with that. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in Minnesota that um, he does that every single time I'm with him. You know, he's a white, white man, mm-hmm. and he knows. And when we're out, so I'm happy, so I'll take care of it. Good. And he will go take care of it. I don't have to say nothing. <laughs> and, it, and it's great because, yeah. you know, he just says, you know, but he says, when you're not here, I don't see it. Oh, so he only sees it when you're When around. I'm around because we're good friends. But he lives in Minnesota. I do work for him. Mm-hmm. We do other things. And when I'm with him, he, he, says, he says, that's the problem with my bubble. Yes. When you're gone out of the bubble, there is no color in the bubble. Yes. He says, you're still my friend. I, you know, I call you my friend. I don't call you my black friend. <laughs> I call you yes. my friend. But I realize when you show up, there's things that are, that are with that. And I have to help you with those things. Mm-hmm. And he does. And I appreciate those things. And that's why I appreciate those friends mm-hmm. that make a stand. Mm, may we says, all be like your friend. Yeah. And just say, all right, when you're here, when I see you. I know I need to do more, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and, you know, even in business, even in those kind of things, because even in business, it's hard for African-Americans mm-hmm. to break through as entrepreneurs and everything else. And and you have to have people that are going to help you through that. Yes. Yeah, you know, and, and God has put a lot of people that have been giving me favor in business and giving me things in business that that they fix for me. They're like, we got you. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you own two businesses and are a pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. And that's because of God. It's not because I think I'm really smart or anything like that. <laughs> you know, it's some of that is, you know, God allowing me mm-hmm. uh, to get into those things, to help people and mm-hmm. to do those things. You mm-hmm. know, I always tell people, you know, um, as God told Abraham, you know, I've blessed you so you can be a blessing. Mm-hmm. And that's what he told me. He's and that's what you're doing. And that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's important. Yeah. Um, how did you broach the subject with your own children when they were growing up? Um, just being honest with them. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, you will have to deal with that. Because, like, my daughter, she looks more Latino. But she looks like my mother. She looks really mm-hmm. Chinese when she's in China and everything yeah. else. And, and, and I said, you're just going to have to deal with it. You're gonna have to be nice and kind because mm-hmm. every time she gets pulled over by a cop, they check Latino on, on the ticket, even though she's not Latino. Oh my goodness! And then she always gets a ticket. Because, always. always. She never gets the benefit of the doubt. Never get the benefit of the doubt. 
Mm. My son, um, let's real, he he can pass for a white Anglo if he wanted to, if he just combed his hair and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But they really think he's more uh, Asian than mm-hmm. anything else and uh, everything else. And so he gets the benefit of that half the time. Okay. Depends on if he's going to work at his corporate job or not. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so and so he gets that. But you know, but he's married to an African woman, and his children are look mm-hmm. African American mm-hmm. and everything else. And so, but we approach that because they both grew up uh, seeing us deal with multicultures and deal with this, and they see me deal with things, and and so they know it's real. Mm-hmm. They know it is uh, all those things that. But I think them being around us has helped that in us, us, us having those conversations mm-hmm. about how we deal with it mm-hmm. and how we deal with life and, and all those kind of things have really helped. So with our children, we were always honest with them because mm-hmm. they saw us. We we're both different colors. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, well, you know, and our kids always asked us, well, well, how do we deal with it as we're mixed? We're mixed. Yes. And I says, well, you, you really have to find your worth and who you are in it, in God. Mm-hmm. I says, you know, you know, you know. We took them home to Taiwan and China and everything else. And it's one of the few times they have ever said to us that they felt like they were home because they because they looked like Chinese people there. Yes. And they were treated like Chinese people. They were treated with respect and honor. Wow. And they're like, it's nice to feel like you belong. That was the first time they ever had that feeling. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's strange because you don't you don't realize what mm-hmm. that really means. Mm-hmm. You just don't. You don't realize how that works, and that's why people want to stick with their culture and stick with their yes. their people and all these kind of things that are happening in our world. And um, and so yeah, so it's different for us when I travel mm-hmm. around this world. You know, I see I see why people stay together. Yes, it's comfort. It's, so true. it's peaceful. At least I, at least they know what I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and I think that's the problem is that we don't share those stories. And that's why I appreciate you sharing the stories that you know, mm-hmm. how you do it and everything else. I think that's important mm-hmm. as we keep telling the story. Mm, exactly. And we keep sharing the story. We keep um, helping people see it at a different perspective Mm -hmm. so true Mm -hmm. growth Mm -hmm. is a process we're Mm -hmm. all learning is there anything else that you would like to speak to or anything that you would like to say while you have (laughs) um like i said i think for me it's always about kindness and love Uh, we change things by that you know if you look across history we know Mm -hmm. that things have been changed by that yes you know you know we look at gandhi we look at uh, you know Mandela, uh, Nelson, mm-hmm. and, and Martin Luther King, and all the things that we know. We know that things can be changed. Mm-hmm. We, we have to do it with the right heart and the right mind, and why we want to change it. Um, and I think that's important that we have to want to change that, especially when you think about the bubbles we deal with, like our church bubbles. I've been trying to change the church bubble for a long time because. Mm-hmm. Um, church needs to be multicultural and multi-raced and multi-things because that's what we're going to see. Yes. You know, on the other side, and and trying to help people understand each other and have stories mm-hmm. and have conversations mm-hmm. about a lot of things, mm-hmm. and I think that's important. So that's so I encourage those people to do those things. If you want to make a change, then you're going to have to figure out how to broaden your bubble to include. 
people that are not like you. That's the truth. That is the best yeah, advice. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean you got to have a thousand friends or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It just means that you have to allow things to happen and conversations to happen and everything else and not be afraid of every time you see a different culture that mm -hmm. you just cringe. Mm -hmm. You know, I see that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I see that too. It's like, oh, they're cringing, you know. Just, mm -hmm. It just happened in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. you know. I get out of the car, say hi to a lady that's loading her car, and she cringed, and she kind of grabbed everything like I was going to rob her. I was like, mm, not, I'm just going to go to the store here. <laughs> and that's such a yeah. deep-seated fear. It's taught. It seems like it's taught. It's taught um, by the culture. It's taught by the parents. It's taught by whatever it yes. is, you know, and it's, and it's done that way. And it's, and it's hard to de-root that mm -hmm. if you don't know what that is. Because yes. we, yeah, because if we don't understand what we look like in the mirror, exactly, and then we walk away from the mirror, then we'll never understand that. You know, I used to think that um, slavery was too big to fail, too big of a thing to get overturned. It's it's actually shocking when you look back and and see all the systems in place that were supporting slavery, yet that fell. This has to as well. That's my hope. If Slavery could end. I mean, it came at a great price, and I don't know that that the slaves were given adequate um, anything at the end of it. But the system, the systemic problem, changed. I'm hopeful that it can change again. This is the problem seems so big and so insurmountable now, but so did slavery. Mm -hmm. and, and I think if, if we look at history and the history of our country here in the U.S. and understand what caused it to continue after slavery ended, mm -hmm. um, then we understand why there's systemic racism left exactly. in our country because they're just things that are part of our history that are just amazing to me as you read through stuff, mm -hmm. you know. That many white people do not know. Yeah, they do not know that, you know, there's a book written that's called The Bell Curve mm -hmm. that was used by our Congress to pass laws mm -hmm. about racism and stuff. They redlined, they used the bell curve, they mm -hmm. used a lot of different things mm -hmm. um, to continue to have systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And we have to keep continue to fight it and keep mm -hmm. continue to change it, keep continue to constantly deal with that. But you know, a lot of people just don't want to know history. A lot of people don't want to know that we are actually those kinds of people that can create laws based on that. You know, and I True. tell people all the time that if you, you go across this country, you will see laws on books that they don't enforce or change mm -hmm. that are really racist mm -hmm. <laughs> in its law, especially in the deep south. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just like, oh my, you know. And so it just depends on how you look at it mm -hmm. and how you want to look at it. Um, I think a lot of people just need, need to know our history of our own country and That's take true. time to really dive into that yes. because people just don't care. I just finished the book cast by uh, Isabel Wilkerson and she dives into that and it and expresses it so beautifully it is it's heart-wrenching but necessary mm -hmm. and, it, and it's uh, and it's those kind of things that we don't teach people we don't exactly. we don't you know you, you know make it a, a reading for school kids mm -hmm. and everything else like mm -hmm. you need to read that mm -hmm. okay, for sure. you, you need to look at this you need to look at that 
Because as kids grow up, when they're young, below five, they don't see color. Mm -hmm. You know, they're taught color as they grow up. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we see young kids, they play together like nothing. They don't really care. They don't, the color exactly. doesn't bother them. They hug each other, do all these things. Mm -hmm. And as they grow up, they just grow apart and you just, you're shocked by them. Mm -hmm. Because they're taught. Yeah. That way they're, 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 they're taught into a bubble, they're brought into a different bubble and all the things that are, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, like I said, I had a best friend in high school that he was a, he was a white guy and we did everything together, but his, his father was a racist. Wouldn't let us, would, ne would never let me go spend a night over there, you mm. know. But, you know, as we left college and we grew apart, you know, I can tell that he has a lot of that in him. Mm. That's got to be hard to see and to watch come to fruition when mm -hmm. it was so good for a while. Yeah, and because then, it was because we were just people. Yes, yes. And we had common things. We went to church together. We mm -hmm. did this together. We worked together. And, and But you realize how things are mm -hmm. when you're not in the bubble with them. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and so to me that's always the, the thing. So, you know, God has allowed me to just to break into bubbles. And what a gift. What yeah. a lucky person you yeah. are. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if that's a lucky <laughs> gift or not. But it's what God has allowed me to do, and he's, he's using it to make change. Yes. And I think that's, the, to me, that's the most important thing, mm -hmm. that I make, it makes change. Um, and like I said, will I see a huge difference before I die? I don't know. But my prayer is that it will continue to change. So people will have, yeah, go right. forward and not backwards. Yes. And, you know, and we live in a country right now that's divided by a lot of different fronts. And we just need to be united again to fight all the things that we need to fight together. Well, that sounds like you just answered one of my closing questions beautifully. What is your tip to make the world a better place? I just kind of put the question on the end of that, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, statement yeah, yeah. because you just answered that perfectly. Yeah. Do you have another one or... Oh, oh that's perfect. That's a good one. That's a good okay. one. <laughs> um, a good what one. are you the most thankful for? Just the opportunity to um, have a family that mm. is diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and to live in a world that um, we can we can make change in. Mm -hmm. You know, our family can make a change in. Mm -hmm. and, and that God is real and he makes the change for us and everything. I'm so proud of that. That you know, me and my wife grew up in bad backgrounds, regardless, bad families, and everything else. And but we realized that God is our rock and our container. And you know, we would have been married as long as we have if we didn't have God. Mm -hmm. Because He's bigger of, than all that. Yeah, because the cultures are different. Mm -hmm. She grew up in a different culture. I'm a different culture. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we laugh about that because it was a fight mm -hmm. to understand that culture. Mm. And to understand each other, and like, oh, okay, that's why you do that, and <laughs> this is why I do this, and understand that, you know. And so, but you know, I'm very proud of that. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud that, uh, that that we can accomplish the things that we can accomplish and, and affect change. And you're stronger for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the very last question: What is your favorite quote? My favorite quote, that's a tough one, there's a lot of those. Because there's a lot of good quotes out there. Um, I think my, 
one of my favorite things is a, it's a is a verse that's simply like Proverbs fifteen one. A gentle word turns away wrath. Mm, I can see that in your life completely. Yes, and it makes a change if you can deal with life that way. Mm -hmm then you can diffuse a lot of things. You can diffuse a lot of anger mm -hmm. and a lot of hostility and hatred by a gentle word and understanding how to be patient with people. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, you know, love conquers a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It does. You know, it conquers a lot of sin, it conquers a lot of wrong. Um, and to me, that's really important, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, uh, of all the quotes, I've, I've lived by that because God has changed that in me. Wow. You know, you know, you know God had to remove that chip, mm -hmm. the hatred chip off the shoulder mm -hmm. so I could make a change, mm -hmm. personally and for everybody around me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, you have made a change in me. I have learned so much sitting here. I could probably sit and talk for the rest of the day. You have so <laughs> much to teach me. Um, and I know you have a lot of other work to do, but thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to be processing the words you said for a very long time, and hopefully they'll bear fruit in my life. Well, I appreciate you asking and coming down and spending time with me, mm -hmm. you know, because like I said, I always enjoy people who are willing to learn and willing to hear conversations about sure. what's going on. So I do appreciate that time. Thank you, you very done. much. Wow, there were just so many takeaways from my visit with Bobby. I especially appreciated his insight into the word we, how it's used for a lot of things, but not in relation to racism. It's like we don't want to own our part in it, look at ourselves and deal with it. I love how he said, why can't we walk together with that too? We are willing to carry the honor of our past collective victories as a country, but not our past collective failures or injustices. Hmm, that's a heavy truth that needs more unpacking and honest reflection. Bobby's bubble analogy made me smile since I recently heard the exact same metaphor from my friend Rama in season one. Opening our bubbles or spheres of influence to others is another way of encouraging inclusivity. Being more loving has never made anyone feel left out. But putting labels on people gives us many reasons to exclude. Lastly, I was impressed with Bobby's confession about how he carried a chip on his shoulder for years. And really, who could blame him? But he was humble and teachable enough to see that carrying that chip was not moving him forward. Only love and forgiveness could do that. May we all carefully reflect on our own lives and be willing to admit the anger, resentment, or hurt we're holding on to so that we don't negatively project it onto others, just as Bobby did all those years ago. By letting go of that chip, he wasn't saying that all the injustices he experienced were okay. They were still painfully raw, but he just didn't focus on them anymore. He changed his focus and in doing so changed the trajectory of his life to helping others affect positive change in this world. And for that, I am grateful. Bobby's life reminds me of Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, there is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Thank you for choosing to live a life of love when it would be easy to succumb to hate. May we all choose love as Bobby has.
Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.